When Paul writes to the saints at Philippi, it is a letter written to some of his dearest friends, and it is a letter to a young local church that was birthed through the power of the gospel and is sustained by the power of the gospel and whose only hope for the future is found in the gospel. This is Philippians, and we are Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. There's no uh, keeping it a secret when you read the scripture before the sermon. We've come to what is probably the first of several in the book of Philippians, more well-known verses. If you were uh, brought up in church or even around the church, you've heard those words before, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's bold proclamation from Philippians chapter 1. We took our sermon title from this, actually. I don't think we've shown the art for a while, but we called the sermon series Philippians when loss is gain, or we could have called it when death is gain. And I get that it maybe sounds radical, what Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Sounds fairly dramatic. Sounds a little over the top, but but for the Christian, it, it isn't. I don't want us to, to see this as some hoorah statement, right? Like, let's take the hill, you know, hoorah. But more of like just a basic, everyday reality for the children of God. To live as Christ to die is gain. Paul writes this in the middle middle of a letter that's filled with joy and affirmation and confidence and hope. This isn't like a psych everybody up letter. He's just stating it very matter-of-factly, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We sang it last week. We sang these these lyrics. uh, What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Him belongs. Quickly becoming one of my favorite favorite songs. But I always pick the ones that n- nobody else likes, so hopefully I'm, you know, that's just how it, my music tastes are. But, but I love this song. This isn't a new idea. This song's new. I think it's less than just a couple years old. But this is straight from the Heidelberg Catechism, 1563. Well, actually, let's look at the New City Catechism first, though, because we say this with our kids. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1563 Heidelberg Catechism says, What is our only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins. You go back even further to the 5th century, The end of the Apostles' Creed, which starts, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. It ends by saying, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You go back to the third century. The Nicene Creed ends very similarly. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. The old Roman symbol, which is a second century writing, which is a precursor to the Apostles' Creed, says, I believe in the resurrection of the flesh. So we just went down, right, all the way back through history, and then you get back to the first century, and you have the Apostle Paul writing to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
It's a very matter-of-fact, everyday reality for the people of God. It's basic, it's normal that we would think this way about living and dying. So I want us to get this today. Jesus is more than enough for your everyday and for your dying day. That's the point of the verses we're looking at today. Jesus is more than enough for your everyday and for your dying day. So might we live and die for Jesus alone. And I want to emphasize that because when we hear a verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain, we tend to, I tend to gravitate towards death is gain part, right? That's a two-part verse though. It's the living and the dying. Both in Christ, both filled with hope. It's living and dying. Jesus is more than enough for both. So Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. He starts, Paul does, in this section with his hope-filled expectation. There's some things that he has an expectation of, two to be exact, that he reveals in these first few verses. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. That's the last half of verse 18, which we finished last week. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers, saints at Philippi, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, he's still talking about his imprisonment, his suffering, this imprisonment and suffering will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So the main observation from those verses are these expectations that he has. There's a couple other little things we'll, we'll touch on too, some other observations. But first he says, I have an expectation of deliverance. That from this suffering, he's in a time of suffering. If you've been with us, we've talked about this almost every week. He's in a Roman prison or a home confinement of some sort, but he is in chains. Uh, His freedom is outrageously limited. And not only that, but as, and he certainly has an inkling of this because it's been prophesied over him that he's going to die. Um, And he knows it too, that his death is imminent. Uh, He will be within the next four years beheaded by the Roman Empire. So, so he's not only in captivity, but he's facing his own, the potential of his own death. But he says this, this very circumstance will work for my deliverance and my freedom from shame and suffering. Another place that Paul writes about this is in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Um, he's talking about suffering. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering is doing something. We talked about this last week. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope in the promises of God. Hope in deliverance. Hope in freedom from shame. And hope does not put us to shame. That's what he says. If you hope in the promises of God, if you hope in the future realities that God has said will be, that hope will not be put to shame in an ultimate sense. That doesn't mean that that nobody in your life will ever think you're a fool to follow Jesus with all your heart. 
but that ultimately you will not be put to shame for that hope. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is a promised deliverance from shame, a promised deliverance from suffering. And notice how Paul frames it. That deliverance comes either in life or in death. Either he will be delivered from it in his living, he will be rescued by God, or he will be called home to God. Either way, deliverance. He doesn't see death as a curse. He sees death as a gateway into deliverance, either delivered in this life or delivered through his death. The the next expectation that he has is that his existence, his body, his life, he says, he says, God will be glorified in my body. He's not just talking about his physical body. He's talking about his whole entire self, all of me and not just all of me as I write this, but all of me past present and future. The entirety of who I am throughout all of my being will be used to glorify God. It will honor Jesus. He says, I expect these two things to be true. That's not ego, right? He's not saying because my life has been so great. He's the chief of sinners. He self-acknowledges that. He, he has a thorn in the flesh that he talks about, how there's this weakness that he constantly has throughout his whole uh, ministry. He acknowledges his own. It's not an ego statement, but instead it's a confidence statement. And what we saw two weeks ago when he said to the Philippian church, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. His confidence is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His confidence is in the promises of God, both for his deliverance and for his life to mean something. So those are his expectations. In living or in dying, my deliverance will come. I'll be freed from shame and suffering. And my life's going to matter. It's going to count for something. He's confident of that. And inset into that hope and outflowing from that expectation is hope and courage. He uses both of those words in there. So even in prison, even facing his death, Coursing through the veins of the Apostle Paul is hope and courage. In the face of death, in the face of suffering, hope and courage. That happens concentrically, by the way. What I mean is, as he looks at the promises of God, of his own deliverance and freedom from shame, that fills him with hope and courage. And as he's filled with hope and courage, he believes all the more in the promises of God for his deliverance and his freedom from shame. As he trusts God's promise that his existence, Paul's life, is going to count for the glory of God, right? That inspires him with hope and courage. And as he walks with hope and courage, that leads him to have all the more expectation that his life will count for something. They, they play off of each other. They work together. That's the main point. A few other observations, and, and we're going to spend a tiny bit of time here because Paul just tiny bit of time to them. But you know he mentions prayer. He says, pray for me. To the saints. He calls the saints to pray for him. And I think that matters because in his suffering, um, he says what he wants the Philippian church to do is pray for him. Because it's through that, he says, God will work for my deliverance. Now, that's interesting, right? Because the Bible teaches us a lot of things about God. One of the things the Bible teaches us about God is his 
sovereignty in the sense that there's no one higher up the organizational chart than God. Not even close. He's at the top. There's no enemy that can defeat him. There's no one that can stop him. Right? So if I fail to pray, is that going to somehow sabotage God's plan? No, that, that would be heretical to think that, well, I know how to stop God. I just won't pray. It'd be a real puny God that could be stopped by, by that. However, and you see this all through scripture and it's a gift to the saints. God chooses in his all powerful, full sovereignty to say, I'm going to work through the prayers of my saints sometimes. That's how I'm going to accomplish what I'm doing. And so Paul says, pray for me and it's going to work for my deliverance. So prayer matters because God says it matters. Not because God is your butler who only responds when you pray, but God says prayer matters and therefore prayer matters. And in certain, certain cases in scripture, and again, this is, your mind's not made to understand this. God is all powerful and in absolute control but he chooses to work through your prayers. So pray, it matters. And he talks about the Holy Spirit too. He talks about the Spirit of Christ, which I take to mean the Spirit that comes from Christ. When he departs, when he goes back to heaven, he ascends. He says, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. He leaves the Holy Spirit with them. And the takeaway from that is, Paul can't do this by himself. Our prayers, the prayers of the saints for Paul aren't enough. God has to be at work in this situation. Apart from that, nothing can happen. Okay, so that is the main takeaway of those first couple verses. An expectation, a hope-filled expectation. Now he makes the truth-filled declaration that we started with. This is the, this is the kind of the hinge point of this whole first chapter in a lot of ways. When he says in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hope-filled expectation leads to truth-filled declaration. This is all these promises are true, and I believe that they are. And I'm filled with hope and courage because of the promises of God and the realities that God uh, has bestowed upon me Then I can make this truth-filled declaration. Living is all about Jesus, and dying is gain. And that's beautiful. In fact, he, this isn't the first time he's talked about it. You talk about living is Christ. You go back to Galatians, and we were in this book together uh, uh, last year, Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I'm not preaching these verses today. I'm simply using them to point to this reality that Paul believes that every bit of his life, ever since he came to faith in Jesus, that all of the old man, the old desires, the old will, it died with Christ. And the new man in Christ has been raised up. So he says, now my life is no longer the Apostle Paul's life, but my living is for Jesus. When I wake up in the morning, give me Jesus. All the way when I come to die, 
give me Jesus. And everything in between, give me Jesus. My living is for Jesus. Not just for Jesus, but by the power of Jesus. I live for Jesus by the power of Jesus. This is a holistic, revolutionary change to the direction of Paul's life, and it should be for us as well. It should take selfishness and slowly crush it. It should take ego and slowly crush it. It should take anger and slowly crush it. Now, all you just put whatever in there that's not like Jesus and slowly crush it as we become more and more like Jesus and live for His desires, not our own. And He's covered the death is gain idea uh, concept too. In Second uh, Corinthians five eight, he says this: Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Right before that, he says we walk by faith, not by sight. He says, when I leave this body, I'm going straight to be with Jesus. That's why all the your Appalachian grandma who said I can't wait to be at home with Jesus, her theology was correct, her doctrine was right to go home. And be with Jesus. To die for the Christian is to go home and be with Jesus. And when you put these two things together, in Romans 14, 17, you have what we actually started with. I'm sorry, 7 and 8. Chapter 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live to the Lord and if we if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's you being owned right by the Lord is your hope. And I know that we're Americans, right? And we like freedom and autonomy, but you know, the great theologian Bob Dylan was right when he said it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Full autonomy is not a real thing. You've learned that you're either going to serve the desires of your heart. And if you are honest, sometimes the desires of your heart lead you down destruction alley and you just can't stop yourself from it. You're like, this is going to hurt. This is going to ruin me. But man, I mean, just think about what you maybe chose to eat or drink yesterday during the football game. Come on. I mean, like, in all honesty, I'll just talk. Maybe the rest of y'all made great choices yesterday. I don't know, but I'm just... But my point is, you can be a slave to your own desires, to the desires of evil, or you can be a slave to Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. And he's saying that's our comfort, actually, that we belong to God because he's a good king. His ways are best. His ways are perfect. You're going to have to serve somebody. Why not serve the one who makes life Christ and death gain. Serve Him. Belong to Him. What joy and comfort Paul gleans from that. But not just joy and comfort and hope and courage. He has a dilemma too that he presents. This gives him a dilemma. But it's more like uh, Austin's ice cream dilemma. Like when you get to Austin's and you don't know which flavor to choose because there's so many good ones. By the way, and I'll just help you guys out. It is black raspberry ice cream. So don't waste your time with the others. See, I don't, 
I don't have a dilemma when I go to Austin's. It's straight for the black raspberry ice cream. It works every time. No fail. But that, again, now they put chocolate chunks in it, so you might think, well, there's a dilemma there now, right? Do I get the chunks or not the chunks? Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Like, you can't... If something's perfect, can you make it better? No. It might still be good, but it's worse than what it is. So that's that's not, not in my notes. Um, but anyway... He says, I face a dilemma. If to live is Christ and to die is gain, here's the dilemma he presents. Verse, verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, he's presenting the two sides. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Right? I'm gonna, if I keep living, I serve Jesus, I walk with Jesus, I, I serve the church. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, one thing you got to understand, he's not, by any stretch of the imagination, thinking he has power over his own living and dying. His dilemma here is not with, well, should I die or live? Because once I make the choice, then I'll follow through with it. No, he's saying, which one should I cling to as my deepest desire in my heart right now because they're both good. To live is to love you, Philippian saints. To serve you, to serve the cause of Jesus, and there will be fruit in that. But to die, to die is to be with, to be with Jesus. Which will I choose? Option A, keep living for Jesus and His church. There's fruitful labor. There's necessary work on their account. Or B, go home and be with Jesus, which is far better. He, he doesn't hide very well which one he really wants in his own heart. He wants to go home. I'll never forget, and she's home now, Mama, my wife's mom. It was one of the earliest memories and one of the most constant memories I have of, of her is her talking about going home to be with Jesus like she was talking about going to the grocery store. It was that much of a reality to her. That much of a joy to her. I'm not saying she didn't fear death. I'm just saying she knew I'm going to go home, be with Jesus, her friend. Now she is. Another guy I kept thinking of, I don't even know his name, never met him. We would go camping at Holly River State Park in Webster County, West Virginia, every year when I was a kid. And even as a kid, I remember sitting there. There was this old, I mean, just old as dirt guy who would get up there and sing. And he couldn't sing anymore. I bet he used to be able to sing. And he'd sing something like Beulah Land, Sweet Beulah Land, or, or, you know, on that day I'll cross the river and fight life's final war with death, you know, whatever about going home. And that guy literally, it would be like transcend, like, I'm like, what is he looking at? I couldn't even, like, he would zone out. I swear he saw heaven. Was that confident, man? That's where Paul's at. He is that confident. That death is to go home. 
And that's what he wants. And he owns that that's what he wants. I've been through enough shipwrecks. I've been through enough stonings. I've dealt with y'all knuckleheads long enough. I just want to go home. I heard his voice on the road to Damascus and it captured me. I want to see his face. I want to touch his, I want to hold hands with him, right? Tyler Childers sang about that this week. Hold hands with Jesus, not even care that he's a, not a blue eyed man. (laughs) He wants to go home. That's his dilemma. Grammatically, he's yearning in the depths of his soul, just yearning to go home, to be with Jesus. But he's also grammatically torn in two in the Greek. He is ripped apart. Why? Because he loves Jesus and he loves people. Sound familiar? That's the Shema, the prayer from Deuteronomy. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul loves his Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus adds, love your neighbor as you love yourselves. On these two commands, hang all the law and the prophets. Paul's living it out. He's like, I'm torn up. I want to go home, but I want to love you guys too. And so he comes to his conclusion, and it's love that leads him there. And these are our last verses. Verse 25, we see his choice. What am I going to give my heart over to? Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. He wants to keep living. This is not what he really wants. He wants to go home. But he says, I'm going to keep, give myself to keep on living for Jesus, because in living for Jesus, there will be growth and joy for the church and there will be glory for Jesus Christ. Those two things. Spoiler alert, in chapter two, he's going to say these words, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish desires. And here he's living it. And again, I think it sounds crazy unless you've been with somebody like Mama, who is just so certain that what awaits her after death is face to face with Jesus, who can sit there and say, I just want to go home. But that's what Paul wants more. But what he chooses selflessly is to live, to keep on living, to keep on going for the sake of the church and for the glory of Jesus. Might we live that today? Might we be shaped by that, right? Like in our living Might it be for others and for Jesus? Might our living be for others and for Jesus? And might our dying be welcomed gain? Those two massive things. That's Christianity. That's that's a whole big bunch of what Christianity is. And you're living Jesus and people. And you're dying gain. We can't generate that in ourselves. Only God can pull that off in us. And so these applications come under that understanding. This isn't like a get your life together type of thing. This is a run to Jesus with desperate hearts saying, change me, transform me, make me different. Because number one, might we be people who don't waste our living? Don't waste your living. That's the decision Paul arrives at. He spent his whole life not wasting his living. He says, the remaining years of my life, I'm not going to waste them either. I'm not going to waste my living. 
Start with praying for each other and for yourself to that end. Because it has to be God that does that. He said that at the beginning of the passage. God has to pull this off in me and in you. So pray. When you pray for Mercy Village Church, when you pray for yourself, when you pray for the people you love, pray, God, make us these kinds of people. That in our living, it's for Jesus. And in our dying, it's gain. That we believe these things more tomorrow than we do today. And then continue leveraging your time, your talents, and your treasures for the sake of the body of Christ. Your time, your gifts, what you're good at, and your resources for the good of the church. To live is Christ. Don't waste your living. Don't waste your living. And then second, ask God for a gospel view of death. Might God give us all a gospel view of of death. We sang this last week. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Right? Like on your dying day, what will you sing? When you, when you bury the person you love the most, what will you say? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward does the grave bring? everlasting life with him and we will rise to meet the lord and sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when christ is ours forevermore that's a biblical view of death that's gain you get to eat with jesus he's going to serve you the food at the marriage supper of the lamb right he's going to serve you the meal That's gain. No more sin. No more pain. That's gain. We have a gospel view of death. Matt Boswell, one of the guys who helped compose and write this song, he talks about how his son was going through a season where he was incredibly afraid of death every night in his bedroom, scared to death of dying. So they're writing this song, man. And and he's a composer. So he's at home. He's got piano at his house. So he's like playing it on the piano and like working out the lyrics and working out the, the tune or whatever you call it. I don't even know. That's why I don't write songs. And as the days go by, he can hear his son singing. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. That's why we sing the songs we sing, by the way. We sing them for Sunday morning to be together, but we hope that they give us gospel truths that we can carry with us through our lives in the face of our fears. Brothers and sisters, death is gain. I'm going to play a clip from a, you know, R.C. Sproul. You've heard his name before. Listen to his words, and I'll tell you the story about it. See him nearing death. Listen to his breath. Through the ebbing pain, final whisper, gain. In 2013, John Piper wrote a poem. John Piper was a pastor, and I was a theologian, so was Officer. About a person doing all their living for Christ. The last line of the poem is that about dying. 
He had all of these other theologian friends read different parts of the poem. And then R.C. Sproul read the last one. R.C. Sproul will be dead by 2017. And I've never been able to hear those, him say those words without just tearing me up inside because I know that he lived it to the end. Listen to his breath. Right? Final whisper. He died. Ventilator had to help him breathe. Paul didn't even have a head on his shoulders to whisper. His wife's final whisper was, Gay, now hear me today. Our faith in that reality, maybe it's only a mustard seed for you. Maybe death makes you afraid. Maybe you don't stand here with rock-solid, unshaking confidence like Mama had, that when you take your last breath here, your first breath will be a gasp. <gasps> Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you'll see it with that level of confidence. I'm telling you, a mustard seed of faith is enough today because God grows hope from mustard seeds worth of faith. You can sing that song we sang last Sunday with just a squeaky little desperate Help me believe this more. Mustard seed worth of faith. That's enough. Enough. This is our hope. Another one of the collaborators of the song, and I know I'm talking about this song a lot, we at least have to sing it one more time now before we exit out of the repertoire. Jordan Coughlin, when they started writing this song, his son, who was 12 at the time, who had beaten leukemia at two and a half years old, for a church plant, but in comparison to the whole world, this isn't a lot of people. But every person in here, so in my living, Jesus, and in my dying, yeah. and every day we believe that a little bit more than the day before, and a little bit more than the day before, and a little bit more the next day. I'm trying to rule us Like that mustard seed of faith that some of us have, that death is gain, grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Like that desire inside of us that ebbs and flows, that our living be for the sake of Jesus, might that grow more and more and more with each passing day. Live as Christ, die as gain, might this be the heartbeat of mercy village church. 
Jesus is more than enough for your everyday and for your dying and Jesus, how to be that simple. If you're not a Christian, your final whisper in death will be lost. The Bible says it's appointed unto every person once to die, and after that, judgment before God. The only way through judgment into gain. Jesus holds out his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection to you. He says, believe on my finished work on the cross, and you will be saved. You're not a Christian. Death can be Christian. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be Christian. I will be here. I'm driving to, I'm driving to Brooklyn. I won't die. I will hope you know my heart. If you're here today wrestling with what it means to be a Christian, I'll give up my whole week's plan to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Nothing would make me happier. Do you want to make me happy? But like, seriously. That's a joke. Don't trust Jesus to make me happy. I'm just telling you, I, I would love Father, thank you so much that in you we had a purpose for living. An unshakable, unquenchable purpose for living. And in dying, we have hope of infinite gain. These are truths. They're on paper. They're in our hearts at some level. Increase the level at which they're in our hearts. Is anyone here that's not a Christian? I pray that today would be the day that they trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.